You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Marsh. Today, a VC winner, World War One, and oh boy, what things he did uh, in the trenches on on the Western Front. His name, Sergeant Reginald Stanley Judson, and the, we're we're talking DC, um, uh, the Military Medal, and Victoria Cross. And this isn't a, a posthumous one. Uh, he lived to wear it, and how he got through this uh, really begs belief. Amazing feats, Jared. Reginald Stanley Judson, what an amazing man he was, Graham, reading through all his feats. The most remarkable things is that the actions that led to his award of the VC were won in a four-week period along with the Distinguished Conduct Medal, the DCM, and the Military Medal as well. So he won all three medals in a four-week period between July and August 1918. And he also served on the home front during the Second World War. He was an amazing soldier, incredibly courageous in hand-to-hand combat. and a bayonet charge, he was almost unbeatable. And he wasn't a big man. He was only five foot seven or so. Very slim sort of build. But his courage was just incredible. And one thing he was very good at was throwing Mills bombs around. Now, these had just been really invented by the Belgians actually their sort of first fragmentation grenade and they were adopted by the British Army quite wholeheartedly and Reginald Judson went on a course how to throw them and man did he excel at this it really was one of his strong points and of course as Victoria Cross is in the Waiuru uh, Military Museum now it was one of the ones stolen actually it's worth a mention this back in 2007 and returned after much negotiation and reward was offered I'd like to go into that later on actually but those Victoria Cross medals are sacred, they really are to this country, there's only 21 of them have been won in our history to steal that is a pretty low life thing I have to say Yeah, I think this particular episode of Outsiders should come with a bit of a warning because some of the descriptions of things like hand to hand combat and just the vulgarities of war on the Western Front, it, it ain't pretty. And that hand-to-hand combat, is it's so hard to imagine. Oh, it is. And imagine being ordered to take a trench of German soldiers and just to go in there with your bayonets fixed and a whole sack of milled bombs on your back and, and then just you knowing that the, the only one who was going to die was basically going to be stabbed to death. Uh, you know, you'd have to build up a hell of a sort of courage, wouldn't you, as you went in there. And Judson, he, he had a lot of trouble with war wounds in his life. He had seven 
seven bits of shrapnel in his body basically all his life and he carried these you know he spent nearly two years in world war one before he got his vc in hospital just recovering from a bomb that went off he was a great all-rounder and i think that what really excels is his service to new zealand and when he came back from the war he was absolutely amazingly giving of his whole life in civil service he worked tirelessly for ratepayers in auckland he was on the auckland city council he was on the fire board he was on the drainage board and he was on the auckland transport board he couldn't help people enough and i think that when you get these stories of guys like this it makes you really proud to be a kiwi actually graham i must say and the sort of people we mustered together to go out and fight it really sort of makes you appreciate the patriotic duty of new zealanders yeah do you feel any dissonance though with the uh the the horrors of of war in in glorifying it in this way Oh, of course I do. If anyone's a pacifist, I, I suppose I, I could call myself one too. But looking back through the historical record, you must see the sort of fervour of the day. And I think that's important. You can't just place your morality today. It, it doesn't apply. We were overtaken as a nation with fervour to join the British during the war. And that's kind of all there was to it. And I think the decisions had been made. There was no turning around. The soldiers were there and they had to fight. Yeah, they yeah. did indeed. And, and you fight to save your men and yourself and to achieve what your officers and then their generals think is a good idea, no matter how bad some of those ideas were year after year. Yeah, that's right. And uh... they, were, they were caught in it. It was <laughs> just... Yeah, caught up in it, no choice. That's right. Anyway, Reginald Judds grew up a very able person. He was born up the Kuiper Harbour, Northland in 1881, educated at a primary school there, and his parents, both farmers, Edgar William Judson and Emma Frances Holmden was his mother. As I said, he was educated at Port Albert. They did the best thing. They actually sent him to England for his later education, and he actually um, got educated educated at Trinity College in Cambridge. He showed all-round ability, particularly as an athlete as well. Well, going to Trinity College, that's kind of expensive, let alone getting to England. They must have been quite well off, I suppose, these farmers. Yeah, I think they were, but they you know, to be. yeah, of course. But despite his higher education, if you like, he was far more suited to a practical career, and he actually came back to take up a mechanical engineering apprenticeship. And he trained both in Wellington and Auckland. He married a young woman called Ethel May Grice in Northland on the nineteenth of April, nineteen oh five, and they went on to have three sons and a daughter. Unfortunately, you know, you have to think about. The coming back from the war. His marriage ended just after the war. It was very sad. And I think basically he had post-traumatic stress disorder. We'd label it today. Imagine coming back from a couple of years wounded and then fighting endlessly to the end of the war and then coming back to this young family. It would have been very hard for him. Yeah, that's a story repeated over and over again. If not, the marriages dissolving are certainly not what they were. Exactly. 
Yeah. Now, when war broke out in 1914, Judson was actually working in Auckland as a boiler maker. Now, he couldn't wait to get to war. He enlisted in the New Zealand Expeditionary Force and he went overseas uh, at the very start of 1916. Now, he served with the New Zealand Rifle Brigade and the Auckland Infantry Regiment in France. Now, this is where he received very severe abdominal wounds in September 1916 and he was two years recovering in hospital. Amazing isn't it? Two years in England and France, first in France and then taken to England where he recovered. Was that the Battle of the Somme? Yes, it was actually. Some of the associated action with that. Judson embarked for the Middle East in January 1916 with the New Zealand Rifle Brigade. Now, this was to join the rest of the New Zealand Expeditionary Force. Now, in February, he was transferred to the 1st Battalion of the Auckland Infantry Regiment, and he was promoted to corporal, and he participated in the Battle of Fleurs on the 15th of September 1916. Now, this is where he was seriously wounded, and he was evacuated back to England where he spent two years recovering from his injuries. What what were his injuries? Do we know? Or how he was injured? Yeah, it was an exploding bomb and he got seven pieces of shrapnel through his abdominal area. A lot of them were not able to be even taken out. So uh, you can see why he took a long time. Now, in June 1918, Judson, he was now a sergeant, he returned to the battalion fighting in the Somme. Later the following month, he rescued six of his fellow soldiers during a German counterattack near Herbertine. Now, this is his defining action, actually, and it's worth going through the details of it to just realise what a remarkable soldier he was. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing feat as described and witnessed by many people, too. Unfortunately, quite a few of the people he was with, equally brave and received Victoria Crosses, but in their cases, posthumously. Mm. We'll get the details of this. Outsiders with Gerard Hindmarsh are today looking at Sergeant Reginald Stanley Judson, VC World War One. Weekend Variety. Wireless. Reginald Judson, VC World War One. It is a case of military heroism, there's no doubt at all uh, with the descriptions of what this New Zealander did in very short period of time on the Western Front in 1918, around about July through August. He spent two years recovering from serious injuries, shrapnel injuries from a bomb uh, during action associated with the Battle of the Somme. Two years from 1916 is 1918, and he's back on the Western Front now, as a sergeant, and this is where this happens. Jared. Yeah, so he'd returned to his battalion as a sergeant, as you said, and he was part of the New Zealand Division, engaged in fighting in the Somme sector. Now, and the day was 24th of July, 1918. Now, they were ordered to capture a German trench on a ridge some 700 yards away. Now, Sergeant Richard Travis of the Otago Regiment, now, he was already famous for his exploits in no man's 
Queensland, a very heroic soldier. Also had two minor decorations. Judson was um, ordered with Richard Travis to take this trench just over 700 metres away. Now, in the front line the previous day, they were sent over to meet the OC. Now, that's the officer commander of the infantry company at the point where the Hawk Trench ran out onto a steep ridge that faced the German front line. And the officer said that he'd been ordered to occupy the Hawk Trench with his company. But before he did so, Judson was to go along and clear it of the enemy. So he's, he's told to go out and clear a trench called the Hawk's Trench. It's an enemy trench now, is it? They'd been swapping for years. Yeah, and all these trenches had names. It was like a road map, you know, take that trench and we'll move up there. And anyway, Judson, he gathered a whole lot of Mills bombs from the men of the officer's company and he was given four men to act as bomb carriers. So there would have been quite a few bombs that they were taking with them. I would say each man would be capable of 15 to 20 Mills bombs in his pack. Are these things that look like a stick with a tin can at the end of it? Yes, a little bit like that. A forerunner to the grenade. They were easy to throw, but um, not completely reliable, actually, at that time. And uh, so, you know, you could inflict damage not only on the enemy, but also yourself if you um, if, if you weren't using them properly. Now, Judson led the way along the Hawk Trench. Now, this was a very deep and very well-traversed and strongly constructed trench, and it was one of the original system of, of German frontline trenches trenches of the days of the 1916 First Battle of the Somme and Sergeant Judson, was he was carrying a good supply of these bombs and his loaded rifle with his bayonet fixed. After going about 150 or 200 yards, he rounded a um, traverse bend and suddenly came face to face with a German sentry looking over a very strongly built trench block. He couldn't see any other German heads he only could see this one sentry in the upper part of the guy's neck. The sentry had his hands on his rifle, which was resting on the sandbags of the block, and it was trained along the trench directly towards Judson. Now, there was no time for the sergeant to bring his rifle to his shoulder because he knew the German would be firing him, so he immediately fired with his rifle at the hip and shot the German directly through the head. Now, the sergeant could just see the tops of the German steel helmets in the trench now behind the block and without waiting a second threw over a shower of Mills bombs. Now Sergeant Judston had been through a seven day course at a bombing and trench fighting school in France just north of the Montier. He got fantastic instruction there and he could throw bombs a very long way. In fact he quite distinguished himself with this ability and he could land them in the bays of any trench and he let go of the whole of the stock of the bombs amongst the Germans before they really realised what was even happening. Now, the trench was fortified across the top of the strongly built barbed wire entanglements. To prevent the sergeant from climbing over this, the Germans had their machine guns on the high ground on their left. 
And when he started bombing, their, their guns kept up continuous fire right across the top of the trench. Now, this made it impossible for Judson to dismantle or try to climb over it. This is one of these situations we've seen depicted so often, the barbed wire defences. It seems as though half of Belgium was made of barbed wire. Yeah, you can imagine how much they used. It must have been factories of it just churning it out. Anyway, he he called for the bomb carriers for another supply of bombs, but they weren't there in some way. They, they'd become separated, obviously. This was a pretty tangled-up little encounter. So he's out there out the front, and he's, he's bombed away and said, I'd like some more bombs, please. Oh, where's everybody gone? Exactly. He was depending on probably another 100 bombs that he could throw over. Now, the enemy machine guns were still active, and he decided, to keep up the attack with some German stick bombs which he'd found in a dugout nearby. Now, he threw um, all of these into the trench bays beyond and he climbed partly up the side until he could see into the trench and there were just dead Germans lying all round on the ground. There was one who was badly wounded but sort of still alive. Now, Judston called out to him but he was far too gone to make a reply so he decided that before he could continue the attack he must have another supply of bombs so that he could get forward by working round the end of the trench. He went back along the trench where there was a non-commissioned officer there waiting for him on the ridge and the NCO informed him that the commanding officer had decided that with all the machine gun activity it was not wise to proceed and ordered the company back to their lines. So Judson very disappointed. He was ready for an attack but he was ordered back. Now the next afternoon Judson led the Auckland attack and Sergeant Richard Travis led the Otago attack. They joined up on the high ground in front and they gained the objective that they were wanting. Now, during the night and early hours of the next morning, the two sergeants met repeatedly while on the rounds of their various posts and Sergeant Travis would tell Judson, the Auckland sergeant, of his um, exploits during and after the attack and he told him how he went down a deep dugout and found four Germans. Now, Sergeant Travis called on them to put up their hands, but one of the Germans, an officer, had started to draw his revolver. And so Travis said, I then shot the four of them. The Otago sergeant also said that he went along Hawk Trench until he came to a strong block there. Now, when I say a block, they build up a block along the trench, and it had barbed wire across the top on that side, and it was full of dead Germans. He said, I can't understand what had killed so many of them in a short space of time. Although Sergeant Judson, of course, was very surprised when he realised that probably his bombing had killed all the German garrison and he attributed this to the useful instruction he'd received at trench fighting school. And he said, that's what can be done by all the training of good bombers, said Travis. So these two guys were the ace bombers, really. Now... The following afternoon, the Germans put down a heavy barrage and Travis was killed, actually, that day by a steel splinter from a shell. And he was awarded the VC posthumously and he was also awarded the Belgian uh, Croix de Gloire as well. Now, 
The enemy infantry had began a counter-attack at this stage and it advanced in waves. You can just sort of imagine the scene, Graham, of, of endless soldiers coming over this dugout countryside and a field company of their storm troops had attacked the Slug Street and dugout lane. Now, these were two trenches that were occupied by the New Zealanders and at Slug Street, by force of numbers, the enemy made a headway. The New Zealand post was forced back and its commander that commander actually was killed by a bayonet thrust as well no oh, i can imagine it just hand to hand look each other in the eye and thrust and kill and shoot yeah, yeah. close quarters stuff imagine how you'd have to get and sort of psych yourself up having someone pointing a gun or a bayonet at you i suppose as they say uh, execution does concentrate the mind well that's true Anyway, the Germans followed down the so-called street of these trenches and they reached the New Zealand front line at the junction of two brigades and they penetrated towards the support line. Now, here they actually came up against both the 1st Auckland and the 2nd Otago battalions and they were immediately counter-attacked by the Otago platoons. Auckland was drawn in and um, Corporal Webster with two men, he rushed at 12 Germans coming down a what they called a sap, which is a kind of like a depression towards them. And he, he got possession of the machine gun and he killed two of the Germans with Mills bombs and he drove the remainder into the Otago lines. So sort of herding them towards the line of fire of your fellow soldier. Exactly, and so it was a sort of a counter-attack, but it was also a ambush, really. To save yourself from being overrun. Exactly. And the New Zealanders were now on the highest possible defence, really. Otherwise, they would have all been killed. Now, Sergeant Judson, now, he'd very much proved himself the previous day. He was very conspicuous in this fighting and hearing to his left the continuous bomb explosions along Slug Street, he went over to make a personal investigation. He crawled over and he found six Otago survivors there and he led them forward to the old position and by blocking the trench at two points he established a post where he held out under this heavy bombing and machine gun fire. Now the New Zealanders were basically getting overrun at this point. They were under heavy bombing and machine gun fire. Now Judson saw the enemy were collecting men for an assault so he crept forward alone completely on his own volition and he threw six bombs amongst them and by doing so he drew their bombs in his direction so he came under total fire but he basically saved the men that were about to fight now later that same night the Germans continued putting up flares from a position which was about 60 yards in front of the post Sergeant Judson he crept forward right up and he threw more bombs with the most brilliant results that he and his men were able to hold out until they were relieved and the position was consolidated the Germans who had broken through the previous day had all been killed or taken prisoner. For his exploits on the 24th and 25th of July, Judson was awarded the DCM, Distinguished Conduct Medal. But this was only the start of the most amazing month of heroic exploits by this New Zealand soldier. All right, this is 
really heavy Western Front, World War One, the appalling nature of war and extreme bravery and amazing feats of this character, Sergeant Judson, and his most amazing feats are yet to come. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. Weekend Variety Wireless. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. Today, a New Zealand VC, and unlike so many, not awarded posthumously. He lived to wear it. In fact, it went missing with the metal thefts from Waiuru. A little bit about that later. But this amazing feat of capturing a, a German trench and if not completely single-handed, oh boy, uh, this Judson is performing some amazing feats on the front line in the Western Front. Now, by mid-August the 1st, Auckland soldiers were in the front line again with the task of organising newly won ground and at the same time maintaining continuous patrols to keep in close touch with the enemy. Now, conditions were, I can only say this, Graham, extremely unpleasant at the trenches. It was They were very narrow, they were always wet and muddy and there were frequent bursts of shelling in their direction and there was practically no shelter. You know, we talk about trench warfare. This was as bad as it gets. Under cover of light trench mortar barrage, the battalion cleared fork, wood and crayfish. Now, this was another couple of trenches, uh, obviously named um, with the New Zealand connections. And in conjunction with the 2nd Wellington Battalion, they developed their line of outposts in the battlefield there. Now, it was the, at this stage of the operation on 16th of August that Judson distinguished himself yet again. He was ordered to take a sunken road and he sized up the situation and Judson saw on his left three enemy machine guns which had to be silenced first, otherwise all the advancing New Zealand troops would suffer severe losses. So he rushed the position and he took the German gunners completely by surprise and without the loss of one man he captured an officer, 16 men and all three guns. Now, the Germans were completely demoralised and it was a source of considerable amusement, actually, to the to the New Zealand soldiers in the line at that point to hear from the prisoners that New Zealanders had the reputation of being cannibals. Oh, that's a reputation that's lasted a long while. Oh, it has. I, I see. It was um, it was wheeled out again for propaganda in World War One. Yeah, exactly. But you know, to be caught by a New Zealander, anything could happen to you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, the, for that exploit, Judson earned the military medal, the MM, and regarded by those who saw it as a deed worthy of the Victoria Cross. This great distinction was soon to come his way. And in the following week, after the fall of the battle line that's called the Lopart Wood. The resistance of the enemy was uh, much stiffer than was actually to be expected and the Germans, they clung very tenaciously to the road to save time until their defences in the rear could be more strongly organised and, you know, the thing with these battles it's all about strategy, Graham and Germans in, in effect were much closer to their home ground than the New Zealanders, of course. A lot of this comes down to who became exhausted first and who could put up with uh, the losses more. Just whose supply line could get stretched and then it just went back again, you know, and as often it was supply lines that were so important. Yeah, well, Germany was running out of supplies to keep Germany fed yeah. at this stage. They were starving. 
Mm, exactly. And anyway, for the 1st Auckland Regiment, for the third time running, they found themselves engaged in patrol work so as to maintain a constant pressure and be prepared immediately to exploit any retirement by the enemy and took over the position. They held it on the um, 25th of August under heavy shelling. Now, this was from 5.9 and 8-inch howitzers, pretty big shells which rained down through the night and all the next day as well. And they made that famous noise, didn't they? Yeah, and you knew they were coming. Uh, midday, the 15th Company were ordered to support the uh, 2nd Wellington and their objective was a penetration to the south and, and crossing of the road that the Germans were holding. Now, the 2nd Wellington Battalion, it tried to move forward in daylight and it made a slight advance, but in the evening they tried again, but there was just too much machine gun fire. They just couldn't get through it. Now, a company of the 1st Auckland moved up to help them and a small bombing section made up of five men under Judson. Now, they pressed through the checked line and they rushed forward under intensive heavy fire fire. Now, first they had to cross the road, which at that point carried an embankment. Then they had to cover a stretch of marshy ground, and they managed to capture an enemy gun, but Judson lost two of his men, and he became separated from the other three, but he he decided to go on alone. This is happening again. He's finding himself alone. Yeah, and he's a brave man. He's always surging forward. Now, he called upon these Germans in a trench to surrender. Now, two officers, they covered him with revolvers, and some of the men called out to him to surrender himself. Now, he had a bomb in one hand, and he threw it amongst the Germans just as the officers fired at him, and their bullets missed him, and he jumped down into a trench where he killed two men with the bayonet at the same time. The other Germans had fled along the trench, and Judson was left in possession of two machine guns, which he carried back himself, one on each shoulder, plainly seen by the troops on the other side of the road. But when they saw him jump down into into the trench, they thought he must have been killed. And everyone was absolutely amazed when he emerged with the two German machine guns as trophies of victory. For his action, Judson was awarded the VC and... The citation that accompanied the award read, For most conspicuous bravery and devotion to duty when, in an attack on enemy positions, he led a small bombing party under heavy fire and captured an enemy machine gun in a German sap. While his men consolidated, Sergeant Judson went on for 200 yards up a sap alone, bombing two machine gun crews before him. Jumping out of the trench, he ran ahead of the enemy. Then standing on the parapet, he ordered the party, consisting of two officers and about 10 men, to surrender. They instantly fired on him, but he threw a bomb and jumped amongst them, killed two, put the rest to flight, and so captured two machine guns. This prompt and gallant action saved many lives and enabled the advance to be continued for some little way further. Wow. Yeah, that is some action in wartime. Yeah. And but like so many things in World War One, yeah. you hear the same story over and over again. Just outrageous bravery, people surviving the most hellish scenes the most hellish situations you could almost 
ever imagine. He gained this ground, and then they just lost the ground again. Yeah, the ground that they gained uh, was not held, actually, as the division on the right retired, and the New Zealanders also had to draw back to avoid exposing their flank to attack. So the Germans were sent reeling back again later on, but it was just a backwards and forwards all the time. Uh, Amazing, amazing. Okay, we'll take our final break, come back with this amazing man, Mr Judson, Sergeant Judson of World War One, lived a long and active life after World War One, although probably damaged psychologically, some evidence for that, and certainly damaged physically. Uh, he wouldn't go through a metal detector uh, if they had one in those days without it going off. Weekend Variety Wireless. Outsiders with... Jared Hindmarsh, today Sergeant Judson, VC, World War One, and he lived to wear his VC and had a very active life back here in New Zealand, carrying all that shrapnel after his first terrible uh, injuries in 1916. Yeah, that's right. And he, he, um, you know, the winning of three awards in a month, it was almost certainly a unique record. And he had the honour actually of receiving all those three decorations at one time from the hands of His Majesty King George V at Buckingham Palace, actually. And he returned from the war on the Marama. And there was a report in the newspaper when he arrived back in Auckland on the 17th of July 1919, it said it would be difficult to imagine a more unaggressive man than Lieutenant Judson. He is of the most retiring disposition. He is of a slight stature and speaks in the softest tones. None of those on the wharf thought he was one of New Zealand's greatest heroes until he had almost reached the bottom of the gangway. Then someone noticed the VC ribbon. By Jove, it's Judson, the man shouted, Cheers for Judson and the small crowd, they all cheered. So he was pressed by a reporter actually to speak of his exploits and he sort of replied with a laugh that it was remarkable what excitement could do when one's blood was up. And he said, if you will know about the VC affair, there was little else one could do in the circumstances. We were held up where a flat stretch was under fire from the ridge beyond. And so he sort of put it all just like that really uh, matter of fact he always played things down but as I said he was very very affected by the first world war his marriage didn't last very long after that either now Judson was discharged from the New Zealand Expeditionary Force in January 1919, but he opted to remain in the New Zealand military forces. He, he'd sort of uh, got hooked on the army, if you like. He, he joined the New Zealand Staff Corps as a commissioned officer, and due to his war wounds, now he still had eight fragments of shrapnel remained in his chest and lower abdomen, and, and the effects of his gassing too. He'd actually been gassed at the Somme and his health was very fragile and he had two periods of very extended sick leave in 1924 and 1934 and he was always regarded as a reliable conscientious officer but any promotion opportunities now were limited and he retired from the army in 1937 and he was at the rank of captain there. Now as I said Judson's marriage to Ethel ended 
and divorce in 1920, but eight years after he married Kate Wilson, she was a war widow and she had his fifth child. On his retirement, Judson's pension. It was insufficient to support him and his children actually and he was unable to return much to civil civilian trade of engineering due to his poor health and he found employment. He became the secretary of the principal of the Mount Albert Grammar School actually. A year later he was voted on to the Auckland City Council for the Citizens and Ratepayers Association and he served nine years on that actually and he was one of six candidates who stood for selection for the Auckland East electorate for the National Party in 1938, but he didn't get that one actually. Following the outbreak of World War II, Judson volunteered again for military service and he he served on the home front for the duration of the war and he commanded the Guards Vital, it was the um, Points Battalion in Auckland, and he retired from the military in September 1946. He was now the rank of Major. One of his sons actually Reginald, um, he served with the 24th Battalion as a chaplain and he won the Military Cross during the Italian campaign. At the end of his life he moved to Manganui in Northland and he took up farming again and he was basically how he'd been raised and he, he was very community minded, he served as a Justice of the Peace and he was also the, became the District's Coroner actually for a while he was even stipendiary magistrate, so the uh, magistrate from Auckland or Wangarei didn't have to come up and he retired in the late 1950s and he he returned to Auckland and he died on the 26th of August 1972 and he's buried in the uh, Waikumeti Cemetery. Anyone who served in World War One, I think getting to 30 is a long life but I mean that's amazing isn't it? Oh it really is. He was um, you know 90 odd wasn't he? Yeah incredible. Yeah. Yeah, incredible um, age, and considering all his injuries and everything else, it was most remarkable, really. Mm. Good living up in Manganui, though, isn't it? Oh, Oh, it is. That fish and chip shop. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anyway, his medal did have a postscript, as I mentioned before. Judson's Victoria Cross was displayed at the QE2 Army Memorial Museum in Waiuru for many years now. On the 2nd of December 2007, it was one of nine Victoria Crosses that was stolen amongst 96 medals from the museum that were stolen that day. And uh, it only took a, a few months for the police to solve this on the 16th of February. 2008, the police announced that all the medals had been recovered as a result of a $300,000 reward offered by Michael Ashcraft, a very uh, patriotic medals uh, expert in in England, and Tom Sturgis, who uh, is ex-Californian, lives in New Zealand here. He was a Vietnam veteran, actually, who, who felt very strongly about this case, and he put up the money too, and it was three times higher the reward than any previous police reward offered in New Zealand and after weeks of negotiations with a third party the medals were returned It's one of those despicable crimes isn't it? It's selling our heritage. Oh it was yeah yeah exactly and the you know the career criminal behind it uh, Ronald Van Waker and several associates he had 200 convictions behind him. He stole the Waiuru Museum medal and 
he said in court it was to negotiate more lenient sentences for other crimes, but he was definitely one of the group of thieves. He's serving a 13 and a half year sentence, but not only for that, but for a mortgage scam and a clothing company fraud. He's, he's a very clever mind, meticulous planning went into it, and he's a very curious character. He even donated money to the Pike River Appeal. He feels very strongly about causes, but what a way to, to sort of push his cause was to steal these medals. But anyway, they've come back into the uh, New Zealand fold, and that's marvellous, I think, because, you know, you can't go around stealing our VC medals, Graham. Or any of them, yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a hero or not. The men behind them, Judson, what a character, really. Unassuming, too. I've just checked his height, actually. He was only five foot six and a half. You know, wasn't a very big man, very slight. No wonder they didn't recognise him when he came off the boat. Maybe he was uh, at five foot six, a, a little harder to hit. Oh, well, exactly. Although they did get him in 1916, and he died with... What? Eight pieces of shrapnel in a chest wound remaining. Yeah, exactly. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Outsiders with Gerard Hindmarsh, World War I VC recipient, Sergeant Reginald Stanley Judson. Gerard, thanks very much. Oh, cheers. Always a pleasure, Graham. At dawn... The ridge emerges, massed and done, in the wild purple of the glowering sun, smouldering through spouts of drifting smoke that shroud the menacing scarred slope. And one by one, tanks creep and topple forward to the wire. The barrage roars and lifts, then clumsily bowed with bombs and guns and shovels and battle gear, men jostle and climb to meet the bristling fire. Lines of grey, muttering faces, masked with fear. They leave their trenches, going over the top, while time ticks blank and busy on their wrists. And hope, with furtive eyes and grappling fists, flounders in the mud. Oh, Jesus, make it stop.
you're wondering. Uh, Jared Hindmarsh is away doing research overseas and uh, uh, he assures me that when he returns he will have new stuff and stories for yet more fresh outsider tales. And while we're doing this thing on uh, the death throes of World War One with Glyn Harper, uh, nice to have associated stories, especially concerning New Zealanders, uh, surrounding the conflict in World War One. And there are a few to come, so we'll let Jared go do his research and get a snoot into the books uh, ahead of Fresh Outsiders. Um, we'll play some of these World War One stories. Another VC winner, I think, uh, next week. I haven't got the whole schedule here. Anyway, thank you very, very much for listening, and thank you... If you've downloaded and are listening on the podcast, uh, we've got a new thing on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. It's like in case you missed Sunday or in case you missed Saturday. And all of the articles that are, that's Radio Speak for things that went on air, will be up there for re listening. So nothing's going to be missed. That's where you click if you want to hear anything that's happened from the Sunday show or the Saturday show. They're all lined up there. But the podcast, of course, has all this blathering on as well. Uh, the Facebook page is there as well, of course, and do avail yourself of it. Thanks so much, everyone, for um, giving us eyes up on for things for Media Stick. Um, the keep your eyes peeled for references to in the Southern Hemisphere used as an amplifier. It isn't an amplifier, really, is it? Is, do we cheer? Oh, whether there's something or rather in the southern hemisphere. Um, no, of course we don't. Well, we're going to spot them and shame them. Uh, thank you very much for the one uh, from the Herald last week. I forget what your name was, but I really do appreciate all the heads up and uh, the uh, suggestions for audio, New Zealand accent of the week and all that sort of stuff. Uh, time for talkback overnight. Night talk. The number is 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. There's another edition of the Weekend Variety Wireless next week. Oh, and with regarding the Facebook thing, I give a an early heads up on what's happening on the program as soon as I know. That usually... And we try and make it look pretty and easy to use with complimentary links and things like that. So that usually goes up on a Friday afternoon uh, and I'll just notify when it's there. I'll post it on Facebook and you can go and scroll through and see if there's anything that you want to hear. Okay. Oh, one other thing. Don't be shy about sharing. It really does help. Tell people if you like any of this sort of stuff and... Well, basically, why not? If you think it's worth it. Okay, it is almost midnight. Thank you very, very much. I'll see you next weekend, if not beforehand, on the Facebook page. <laughs>